HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Agave Road Trip is brought to you by Mezcal Amaras. Mezcal Amaras is a company built through love, love for the sun, the land, and the people who work it. And most of all, love for Mexico and its sacred plant, the agave. Now strap yourselves in for another episode of Agave Road Trip. You are Chava Periban. And you are Lubank. And this is Agave Road Trip, the podcast that attempts to teach gringo bartenders something about agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. And today, Chava, you know what I'm going to have? What are you going to have, Lou? I'm going to have me a big copita of mezcal. That's what I'm going to have, some mezcal. You mean mezcal? No, no, I mean mezcal. What, what, what are you trying to say? Are, are we referring to the same thing? Uh, like, are you? Are we talking gabe spirits, right? <laughs> are you using any new type of drug or something? I'm going to have mezcal. This is literally, uh, this is my attempt to introduce the topic of how do you pronounce stuff. I can't tell you how many people uh, in, the, in the industry, bartenders, professional bartenders who have referred to Del Magui. Del Magui. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's nice. Yeah. And like there's so much when you when you're talking about gringo bartenders, and that's what we're talking about here, and you're you're talking about a foreign language, it it gets confusing. It gets even more confusing when you get to the level of the consumer, I think. Um, which is not to say that there are no Spanish-speaking consumers of these spirits in the USA. Um, <laughs> but I am saying that it is unfamiliar territory and I'm if I'm a bartender, A, is it my obligation to know how to pronounce it? B, that there e- is there even an acceptable pronunciation and an unacceptable pronunciation? And C, what's my obligation as far as educating my consumer? Well, you know, if I can make an analogy of this, I will think in the, of wine and mm-hmm. being French, like the ultimate fancy language to speak. I think a lot of the sommeliers, <laughs> sommelier, try to <laughs> right, right, right. The, we start from there. They make it, they go to big extents to get all their wine names correctly and have their pr- French pronunciations down as, as much as they can because French to an English speaker sometimes is a challenging language. 
So I, th- I think we have a perfect example there of a lot of people trying to do the job, no? Well, okay. So does that mean it's right? Because I, I got to say, I find a lot of, I don't drink a lot of wine. And a, and a big part of the reason is I feel like it's a very pretentious category. And perhaps that's a piece of it. Well, I wouldn't say pretentious. I'll say specific. I think one of the, be- <laughs> yes. And I think one of the great beauties of wine is that it has been around for so long, there has been such a well-established industry for so long that you have a big diversity that is very well mapped. So you can ask for things very accurately, and therefore there's a bigger language. You know, like there's there's more terms around it. Okay, so, okay, great. I hear you, but I still don't know where you stand on this. Are you saying then that everybody should learn to say mezcal? Of course. Okay, so then should everybody also learn to say Mexico? Of course. So so when I say Mexico, even though the dictionary tells me that the pronunciation Mexico is correct, I should just forego that and I should say Mexico. Okay, let me rephrase this a little bit. I, I, I cannot claim that you need to do so, but I think that, that by doing so, and we had this conversation before, I think, that by getting closer to the proper names of things and the proper pronunciations you also start understanding better what you're drinking and where it comes from. No, I disagree. I don't think it has anything to do with oh, the pronunciation. Really? And 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 in fact, okay, so so when I am out visiting these mescaleros and one of them asks where I'm from and I tell them and they say, "Oh, Chicago." Is it my then obligation to correct them so that they know what a hot dog tastes like? Is that what you're saying? No, but because they don't care about you. They, they're not going to Chicago. They don't, <laughs> they don't care about you. They, you care about it. It's different. So that's, that's an interesting point, actually, Chavez. So what you're saying is if you care enough, you'll learn. Of course. The pronunciation. Yes, because I think there's various levels of understanding this. Huh. And I'm going to put up a very nerdy quote on this one. But uh, this author called Borges, José Luis Borges, which is one of the biggest monuments in the Spanish written literature, he was obsessed with Icelandic. And he said he was obsessed with Icelandic because you can read Icelandic that was written, let's say, in the 14th century. And the language hasn't changed that much. So you can read like that today, having the exact same words and on, like having a source of words that were used in the 14th century. If you try to do that with Spanish, Spanish has evolved so much mm-hmm. that if you try to read Don Quixote today, it, it doesn't resemble at all Spanish. And he said that by getting close to that, to those words, he could feel the 14th century of Iceland just like getting into his bones. So I'm a big believer that words and their pronunciations are there for a reason. I just, I just want to, I want to go back to what you just said. I'm not going to let you say that and then walk away from it. He could feel the 14th century in his bones. Yes, like unless the, you're talking about rheumatoid arthritis, I'm not buying into that argument. That's not a reason. Like you had me before. I think you, you oversold. Once you've succeeded in selling something, you should stop trying because you can only follow it up as you have just done, Chava. Okay, okay. So what, what was your take on this then? Because I do believe so. I think like when you, like it happens to me, like English is my second language. Yeah. And I think that every time that I succeed in pronouncing something the way that it's being pronounced in English properly, I, I can feel different. Like, I, I think I have a better understanding of what I'm trying to say. So should I tell you the pronunciating isn't uh, actually a word? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love when stuff like that happens to me. It's it's like it's a really thin line between I think between uh, rudeness and uh, compassion. Like I I guess. I, you know, I hear what you're saying, and I certainly find myself at least unconsciously doing that. While, you know, while I, I don't speak Spanish, and I, I've said this a million times, I'm a horrible student, uh, particularly of languages, um, and I've tried to learn Spanish, and it's so hard for me. I do try to get my pronunciation right when there, the, for the few Spanish words that I know. Um, and, I, I, you know, I guess I've done that because I feel like I want to show people that I, I do care. But then I'm also very uncomfortable saying to people, like I, I was just talking to this uh, this this friend of mine who's recently become a brand owner. He just started importing uh, certified mezcal into the U.S. and he's got a uh, a, a tobala expression. <laughs> and and you know, and I and I did correct him because I thought you know he's going to be talking to people who will know better. But I'm not sure that a bartender should be correcting a consumer. Uh, I mean, I think there's different ways to go about this. And I've had this, I guess, I, I've been going to Agave Spirits special and, and Spirits in general specialized places for a long time. And I think there's two types of bartenders that you can encounter. The one that is correcting you and the one that is offering you a little bit more information. That it's enriching your knowledge. So I think if you come from a corrective stand where like, oh, you are so dumb. How can you not know how to pronounce this? Of course comes through it. But if you are like, you know what? Like, uh, it's great that you know that Tobala exists, but we actually call it Tobala, <laughs> you know? And uh, I think it's just, you know, adding those little bits of information that is just like almost tips and tricks that make people feel closer to the product. How How do you think it would come off if somebody says, I would like a... Tobala, and you said, I would be more than happy to get you your Tobala. And you just leave it there. Not a blatant correction. It's just literally, you're saying it correctly and uh, and, and moving on. I, I love that. And that happens to me all the time. You do that with me all the time with English. You tell me, you know, Chala, we actually say it this way. Cool. I, I don't do that all the time. Well, not all the time, but sometimes I feel, and I appreciate it a lot. Really? Like, I, I, I really appreciate that sometimes you take the time to tell me, like, it's not sh- shit and giggles. It's shit and giggles. <laughs> shits, shits and giggles. It's the shits and exactly. giggles. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I think I only do it uh, with you when you're using a phrase that's an old person phrase. It makes me feel like I've taken you a little under my wing, I, young Chava. <laughs> Exactly. And I think bartenders can have the same feeling if they throw the mezcal and tobala versus the tobala and mezcal. So, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm in for that. And uh, and so then my next follow-up question to that is, how do you correctly pronounce guacamole? Is it guacamole? Oh, Lord. You know, one of the most, uh, and I think I'm not alone with this one. Uh, the last time I was in the United States, I heard somebody saying guac. So, saying just saying guac. Yes, that's very common. Oof. I'd like some guac. I like. I say that sometimes. Really, I thought like somebody was putting a thorn like down my neck. Really, it just it just feel it feels so wrong. Uh, and I say that because I am my family is dedicated to avocado production, so it feels double <laughs> double bad. <laughs> so the the correct way to say it is guacamole. Guacamole. You're not like say the first just the first. Letter pronounce that first that G, wa 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 guacamole. Correct, guacamole. Yeah, you need to work on this, but uh, <laughs> guacamole, <laughs> guacamole. 
Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Who knew? Yes, but and I also think that you guys have a big advantage because there's so many Spanish speakers in America these days that you can have great orientation on how to pronounce things. Yeah, you know what? Let's go back to that guac thing for a second because I'm I've, I'm playing <laughs> with this in my head. I know a number of people in Mexico who do not just call me by my first name, Lou. It's uh, they they always call me Lou Bank. And I, I think there's something about uh, your language, and it's yours personally, I think there's something about it where you need more than one syllable. It, it, things need to be longer. Well, it's, it's some of those things that because you do them so unconsciously, probably I'm not, you know, I, I just do it. Can you think of any single syllable words that you use commonly, like guac? <laughs> like si, you know? <laughs> See, oh, see. Yes. <laughs> like the two most important <laughs> words ever. Huh. So that blows that theory. Yes. I'm sorry. I, I think we Mexicans love to feel the Spanish bubble in our mouths. You know, just like feel like that nice seltzer feeling of Spanish mm. just flowing. Uh, but I don't, I think we, we do very well with a lot of, uh, Huh. Monosyllables. I never. I actually. I, I guess that blows my theory. So why? Is, why are people calling me Lubang? I think because you look older, so they they want to like give you a little bit of presence. Lu sounds like Lulu. Oh, you know Lulu. It's a woman's name. Isn't Chava a woman's name? Well, no. That's a whole like I'm not gonna jump in there. But Chava means girl, <laughs> uh, and it's it's a very long, complicated uh, story around it. But Lu, I think just people get nervous about having you. You know, like some respectable looking old person like you being called Lou. <laughs> huh. That's funny. But you don't know any, I mean, I'm sure you know Lulu's, but you don't know any woman who goes by Lou. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah, some like younger Lulu's will just be like Lou. Oh. Or, some, or someone that is called Luna, like the moon, Lou. Oh. Or Lucia, Lou. Oh, yeah, that that's so funny. Wow, I how many years? Twelve years, and this is the first time I'm getting this. That's the, you know that honestly is part of the uh, the beauty yeah. of Mexico to me is this ongoing discovery. Finding that your name it's a woman's name. I think we've gone long and far with this, yes. which we did not think was going to give us more than five minutes of content. But I think we, we need to wrap it up, Lou. Uh, hasta pronto, Chava. Adios, Lulu. <laughs> Hang on, road trippers. We're not done yet. We've got an episode of Chava and Lou's Chat Fest coming up. Mezcal Amaras is the sponsor of this episode of Agave Road Trip. Mainstream categories such as rum, whiskey, and tequila have made consumers adapt their palate to sweeter and smoother notes. For this reason, aged products have been getting more relevance in the market worldwide, especially matured beverages best known as Reposado. They are responsible for conquering the consumer's palate with their sweet, spicy, and even smoother essence. Amaraz Reposado is accountable for recruiting consumers that are uncomfortable with Mezcal's traditional smoky notes, but love everything that it represents. Reposado grants you entrance to the world of Mezcal with its smooth and mellow notes, handcrafted using the same fine agave espadine, only this time it's matured in their barrels carved from two different types of oak, 
One is an American oak medium toasted that covers the whole body of the barrel, adding sweet flavors and aromas. The other is a French oak from which the lid is sculpted, enhancing its fruity notes and strengthening its smoothness. During this process, it shades into an elegant, light tanned and natural amber tone. After being left for a minimum of three months to adjust itself into their beloved Amaras Reposado. To learn more, go to their website at mezcalamaras.com. This is Chava and Luz Chatfest. The Chatfest, it's a podcast within a podcast that has nothing to do with agave, agave spirits, or rural Mexico. Hey, Chava, what we chatting about today? We're talking bicycles. Because you know, Lou, I, I had a car once for six months. And Did you really? What, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had an anxiety attack. You've seen the traffic in Mexico City. So I was driving it's from- It's not that bad. Well, you haven't gone to Santa Fe. So Santa Fe is if you mix Hong Kong with, uh, what will be the equivalent? Like mix Hong Kong with Manila and that Santa Fe. It's horrible. And the traffic- God, it sounds like a great lunch dish though. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, the food there is like, I mean, I can say, I can talk half an hour about things out Santa Fe, but the worst thing is the traffic <laughs> coming down from Santa Fe at 6 p.m. on a Friday. And I had an anxiety attack and I opened the door of the car and started running and just left the car behind. And like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously? Yeah, like I couldn't. Like I had been inside the car for two hours. I had gone probably 3K and I just couldn't take it anymore. So I just opened the door. Start running for what felt like 10 minutes, but probably was just like 50 seconds. Realized what I had done, ran back, and the traffic hadn't moved. Nobody was even honking because, like. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. That's when I decided I couldn't have a car. That's interesting. When you're in the car, I know this is supposed to be the bicycle episode, but when you're, <laughs> when you're in a car with somebody else driving, like when you and I, have have come back from agave road trips and we're coming into the city of Mexico um, and we hit traffic. Do you find yourself feeling that same anxiety? No, because I don't do it on an everyday basis. And I know it's going to happen then and there, but that's not my life. Back then, that was my life every day, driving in the traffic. And I just couldn't bear the thought of spending my life locked in there while seeing people that were walking faster than me. I, I like the worst part about this. I felt stupid and I hate feeling stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny when I, um, when I first started, uh, working, I, I, I live of course in the city of Chicago. And when I first started working, uh, up in Highland park, which is a suburb that is, I know this is exactly 21 miles, uh, North of where I was living in Chicago. Um, I, I was driving for the first week I was driving up there. And then I think it was the Friday when I was coming home, uh, that first Friday I was coming home, it took two hours to drive the 21 miles. And I felt that same, that same button of anger that you're talking about, frustration, um, emotional, emotional distress, we'll say. And, and so that Monday I started bicycling up and I just, you know, it, it took me about an hour and 20 minutes to bicycle. Mm. And once I realized that it was an hour and 20 minutes versus two hours ever in a car, I never, I never, you know, I'll, I'll drive there now I'll drive there. Cause I don't, you know, don't really have to go to the <laughs> office anymore, but, um, uh, like I, I never, I never drove to work again. Really? Well, that that was exactly what happened to me. And I had the shittiest bike you can imagine. 
It was the uh, oh, and did I? Yeah. Like I, like I literally, I would buy used bikes, and sometimes they were like kids' bikes, oh. like little puppies. <laughs> well, like, but you guys have had a beautiful bicycle industry in America for the longest time. Have you seen here the bicycles that everybody uses? The Benotto is a Mexican maker of bicycles. It's gotten a lot better uh, in the last few years, but they are dirt cheap. They are as heavy. They're probably. Mine at the time was around like 11 kilograms, 12 kilograms, something like that. Huh. It, it was, okay. uh, it, it was, it, it hurt your eyes. And like, it was ugly, not in a way <laughs> that it can ever go vintage. It was not ugly in a way like, well, this in 15 years, somebody will find beauty to it. No, it was just plain ugly. And, uh, but I, I started, I started biking there. But you know what? I never had an accident. You never had okay. So I like I did. I never had an accident. Uh, ironically, I shouldn't say ironically. I, I I never had an accident on my um my rides to or from the office in Highland Park. And in fact, like that's pretty miraculous because I was doing it uh, through throughout the year, even in the winter. Uh, I would be I'd be bicycling on one of the busiest roads in the suburbs during snowfalls because you couldn't get on the bike path, you know, in, in the winter when there's snow. And I never like I I would white knuckle and I literally broke at least three sets of handlebars because I was white knuckling on these snow covered <laughs> roads while people were rushing to get home, but nobody ever hit me then. The only time I shouldn't say the only time there are two times that I had bike accidents. First time isn't anything really to to mention, but the second time um, I was I, it was just literally out in the morning for exercise, not going to work. And I was going down uh, Lincoln Avenue doing, according to my uh, my GPS watch at the time, my Garmin, uh, I was doing 16 miles per hour when suddenly this dude opens his truck door and and just hits me right on the shoulder, right? Jesus. On my, my, what would be like my passenger side shoulder and throws me off of my bike no. and I land flat on my back. And if I if I hadn't had if I hadn't had a, a bike helmet on Chava, I would not be your co-host on this podcast. Like literally, the helmet was split. You will have more brain damage than you already have. Correct, correct. Probably you will be funnier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd at least be easier to put up with. You know, like yeah, like <laughs> but but literally that like there was a there was a crack in the back of the helmet that was just split it. No, so so like I'm fl I'm flat on my back and my bicycle kept going a little bit until it fell no. over to the street. And this guy gets, and he's a big guy, he's a construction worker, gets out of his truck. He's like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry, are you okay? And I just start screaming at him. I'm like, go get my bicycle! Damn you, get my bike! And he's just, he runs over to get the bicycle. And I, after like hitting that hard, I stood up and this guy like walked backwards and was clearly afraid of me. Like, and he was way bigger, big construction worker. And he's like, this dude just took a hit and he's getting up. It was like, like, uh, Freddie from Friday the 13th. Like he just kept killing me <laughs> and I kept getting, I kept coming back. Yeah. And, 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 and what was the point to this? I, well, the well, point is like, I don't know, like be more careful when you're riding your bicycle around the city. I, you know, but that's, that's just the thing. It's like, you can, you can be as careful as you want. This was not on me. Like I was, I was being careful. I had my helmet on. I had my lights oh, wait, wait, wait. Did, on. Like, did, did you even get some compensation from this? This was the weird thing. Well, like I, so I, I got up, I got back on my bike and rode to the the, the farmers market. I took this guy's information. It, uh, I reached out to the company he worked for because um, it was a business vehicle, 
And uh, and I said to them, look, this happened. Uh, I don't know if anything's going to come of this. I'm going to go see the doctor. And they literally, fo- I shouldn't say forced me, because <laughs> obviously they can't force me to do anything. But I was like, look, you know, I'm going to go see this physical therapist for three or four sessions. If you pay for that at 75 bucks a session, I'm fine. And they said, well, look, why don't you take a week off of work and we'll compensate you for that week. And then we'll compensate you for three more weeks or something. Like it, it, it ended up that they gave me something like four or $5,000. And, and I kept saying, you don't, I know the insurance company for the company. And I kept saying to them, you know, you don't have to give this to me. He said, no, 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 that's fine. Uh, just sign this release. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I'll sign the release. It doesn't have to be this much. I kept telling them that. And they just, is, nope. is that what you started doing to make your money since then just like (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a great business to me like great business model it's dude it's not a great like that was that was really scary because it's it's literally one second you're on your bike and the next second you're flat on your back and there's that moment like you don't know how you got from point a to point b that's that's a very scary moment oh lord okay so i think we're gonna close this up now that you told us how not to do bicycling, I'm going to tell you how to do it because I think my experience has been cleaner <laughs> and better than yours, clearly. Though I, I, I will wish, yeah, I wish I had had that 5K, though. I'm very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's wrap this and then we'll catch up in the next chat fest job. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.